All right, all right. So we are on uh, actually episode two, and we have a very special guest today. Uh, Sajeev, thank you for taking the time and uh, uh, coming to talk to us, and super excited to introduce everybody to your story uh, and, and your company. And uh, without further ado, uh, you want to just share a little bit about your background and, and how you got to here. Yeah, uh, Bronco, thanks. Thanks for putting this together. Uh, I'm super excited to be here. Um, yeah, so my name is Sajeev. Uh, I am the CEO and co-founder of Profeto, which is a data science and analytics uh, talent platform that's connecting computational academics with organizations which are seeking flexibility and affordability in their access to data science and analytics. Uh, this is kind of born out of the uh, this, this broader pervasive market problem that pretty much everybody is aware of, which is this huge demand for data scientists, not enough people to meet that demand. And, by, and to clarify, when we talk about data science, I think there's a lot of noise around it's machine learning, it's AI, it's, it's computer vision. We're talking very simply about statistics and programming applied to business problems. So that core skill set is in very high demand and there's a very low supply of people at least is a perception of a large level supply of people in the market who can meet that demand. And as a result, particularly for small emerging companies that are, uh, you know, that, you know, with this broad recognition that we need to be able to do something with our data, they have trouble getting access to the people who can help them leverage their data. And uh, it's hiring costs are really high, the consultants are very expensive. And what we identified in academia was that, uh, by we, I mean my co-founder and I identified academia, was that there's a huge pool of computational academics who have all the skills to be effective on these problems, but they sit locked behind the, the ivory tower, so to speak. Uh, these are masters, PhDs, and postdocs who have all the abilities to be effective, yet it's not really a strong connection point between academia and industry. And so we want to take the freelancing framework that's been so successfully utilized by companies like Upwork and Fiverr and the like. And, and apply it to this problem. And so through that method, we're allowing, enabling computational academics to work on a fractional on-demand consulting basis in, that, in industry. And uh, so far we've been, we've been working on the company for about a year now, and it's been a, uh, we actually, uh, we're about at a year, year point. And if you're uh, paying attention, we started in March, which was very interesting timing to start a business. <laughs> so I have a lot of thoughts to try to start a business in the pandemic, but we have been working on the idea while we were in grad school. My co-founder, Dan McDade is at, uh, Carnegie Mellon uh, doing his MBA there, and I was at doing a joint program between Dartmouth's MBA program and Harvard's uh, public policy program. So I was at the end of my three-year mark, uh, right when I was starting the business. So, um, so yeah, it's the kind of high level of, of sort of where we are, where, what we've been doing for the last year or so, and uh, yeah, um, it's, it's been quite a ride. So uh, you've been you've been firefighting on on many different fronts, uh, and and I'm sure right, right like it's been the, the last year has not been um, the you know in, in many in many different aspects has been a, in a very very difficult year, um, and um, you know in terms of the economy and where we are in the cycle. Um, on the other hand, it, it seems that there are you know new opportunities that are emerging, new business models, new ways of looking at the world. And um, I guess maybe just a direct question here uh, to address that: Has your kind of um, a business model or um, a company changed to ad adapt, or or has it been pretty much on the same since you started? Um, kind of been on the on the thesis has been the same, then and you kind of um, moderated on the edges, or have you made kind of wholesale changes to the way you uh, approach the 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 idea and develop it further? 
Yeah, it's a good question. I think that the answer is, you know, kind of pandemic or not, your idea is going to change, right? That's just fundamental. And I, I think one of the big, if I reflect on some of the big, I wouldn't even call it mistakes, but learnings that, you know, like, and I know it's kind of corny, but the, you, I really do look at it as like you're learning, you're going to make these micro adjustments all the, all the time. And one of the big ones, though, was that I'd always viewed entrepreneurship as this perspective of like, here's an idea and let's try and go validate it. Right. When reality, and I know I'm quoting somebody else here, so it's not an original thought here, but um, it's really about the problem. It's really about like finding a problem we really care about and accepting that your idea is going to change. Because I think a lot of people just get married to an idea and they're like, wouldn't it be great if there was a freelance marketplace for data science? And then like they just anchor on that and you try to like force that without ever flipping on its head and saying, let's start with the problem. And do we really care about this problem? How big is this problem? And then leave there enough open opportunities to switch your idea and shift around. So to answer your question, I think that just being that is the expectation that's going to happen. Of course, the pandemic has exacerbated that to a lot of to a large degree. Uh, our entry market was manufacturing and retail. And we had some like pretty big companies like in the pipeline initially because we were trying to bootstrap. And then, and this was starting in like January. I was starting to like get momentum, you know, and like pretty like blue chip name retailers. I was super excited because I didn't expect them to like invite a lowly grad student to New York to go talk. I didn't think that was going to happen. I was like, this is crazy. And then of course, COVID reaches our shores and everything locks down and everything dried up. No one started, no one's calling back, nothing. And so on the fly, it's like, wow, we need to really make some big changes uh tech was the one sector that was pretty resistant throughout all this in fact it's i mean i don't know what the numbers look like but uh, you know it was a weekly thing as part of my business development i'm pulling venture around seeing who's raising money who has budget and you just see people are still raising money even this environment and you know all the investors they putting out there like they're they're messaging saying that we're still pretty confident in the sector so that's how we really predominantly adjusted but Business model, I think most of our changes have been independent of the pandemic, like what we're learning when we talk to customers with potential customers, what we're talking, what, what we're learning from, um, from, the, from the folks around in the sector, what the true pain is. That's the main adjustments we've made. So um, I, I, the pandemic has had an effect, but I think pandemic or not, changes are going to happen anyway. Ups and downs are going to happen anyway, and uh, we're, we're trying to adjust along the way as well. Fantastic. And uh, maybe just to uh, bring you back to, um, uh, uh, I guess, uh, probably more than a year ago, uh, when when kind of the, the, the first uh, sense of the idea came about when you met your co-founder, uh, kind of how did that story come about? Uh, how did you go about problem solving and landing on uh, starting this specific company? Obviously, it's a hot topic, lots of demand um, and 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 um, you know, top of mind for a lot of leaders, but I'd love to just hear kind of how you went about, what was your process? And uh, given that most of our audience is in the early stage uh, entrepreneurial, um, you know, I think they'd very much appreciate to hear the origin story. Yeah, so this is kind of a weird one. So uh, buckle up, it goes back more than a year. So <laughs> I, I, I went to business school, uh, gosh, 20. 17 fall, I want to say. And so my intention of going to business school was to start a business. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And I'd worked in early stage or mid growth stage staff companies running biz ops and analytics and had a background in finance. But I come from this world of entrepreneurs. My father was an entrepreneur. I have family members. Like, in fact, the region in India my family's from is known as like the big merchant hub from Gujarat. So, like, it's, I've always joked that it's kind of in my blood at some point I'm going to do this. 
like whether, uh, you know, and so that was sort of a, always an eventuality in my mind. And I thought, you know, business school would be a great way to kind of have the optionality to kind of, you know, work on it and leverage the resources of those type of institutions. And so um, when I was in business school, I tried a couple ideas, but I raised a grant my second year. So that's the summer of 2019 to work on a startup in the travel space. And it iterated a bunch, but again, anchoring on this philosophy of like, start with a problem and try to iterate around that. And kind of, you find yourself in this, this experimentation, like wheel of like hypothesis, test it, result, have a new hypothesis, test, iterate, result. And it's kind of following that methodology. I ended up on an idea, which was basically trying to help airlines better market and target their customers on third-party sites. So think your Expedia's, your 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 kayaks, your TripAdvisor, whenever they're selling through another medium, which is which is not their website, they lose visibility into who's buying. So if you're Delta Airlines, you're probably like, wow, it would be really good to know if you know Bronco looked at a flight on United first and then bought Delta with extra legroom. We could actually probably infer something about its buying behavior. You can do that based on the leg of journey they're going, you know, like, uh, you know, what specific ancillary product, and I can go into this much more detail. But the point is that's we were trying to basically buy up data from the third-party sites whose margins were thinning over time, and sell that back to the airlines in the form of insights and, and like large margin data set aggregated across all these sites. Problem with that was when we were speaking to the airlines was, you know, we have a ton of data as it is. And we're really trying to figure out how to leverage that existing data set. If you could provide us something more, like more robust data science on top of what we're already doing, that would be of more value. And so I said, okay, well, and I was again solo founder at the time. I was like, I don't really know how to, where to get started here. I'm a quant, but I'm not that kind of quant. So I said, well, maybe I should like find a data scientist like on Upwork or something. And I just saw the rates for data scientists were so high. The consulting fees are so high. I was like, well, I don't really know anyone, at least at the time. It didn't occur to me. I knew somebody actually, but I said, maybe like I could talk to like a physics PhD. Like they are, they're so computational. They have, they, they, they're probably doing some similar, similar uh, uh, technical abilities that are applicable to this problem. And like, you know, I'm still in the academic community. I can find something. And then it kind of occurred to me. I said, well, there's an analogous business here because there was a business called Catalent, or was formerly known as Hourly Nerd, came out of Harvard Business School, and they basically took MBAs who were on the bench, you know, and said like, well, if you worked at McKinsey, why don't you do some consulting work on the side and help like a flower shop market size or something, and like you can earn beer money basically. That was the initial idea, and now it's become this consultant marketplace. And I said, well, taking that analogous model, I just said, well, let's just quickly do some research. So I, you know, talked to a bunch of PhDs and said like. You know, how do you think about moving the industry? Like, what's the pain point of making that jump? How do you value your own technical skill set? And, and there was a little af there was affirmation, like, yeah, like the ability to work part time, build work experience, like that's a value. Talk to some folks in my network on the company side saying, yeah, like, it's really hard to get really good analytics, even out of the software tools that are out of the box, whether on the go to market side or on the R&D side, getting really good data scientists is really tough. And so that was where I was like, this seems like a more acute problem than the one I was solving. And that's when I made the pivot entering the fall of 2019 and started on this idea um, and starting on this market problem. And um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was a bit of a, a long cycle to get there, but we got to this, this problem set now. And um, in terms of like how I found my co-founder or just built my, started to build sort of the infrastructure for this. I mean, we didn't, I initially was doing very rigorous customer discovery. Like I, 
I think I over-obsess on this to a degree that maybe is a little unhealthy in the sense that sometimes you should have a bias to action. But I kind of went in the direction where I'm like, I want to just really talk to every person, get very much into the psychology of the buyer on both sides. The marketplaces, you've got two customers. You don't just have one. So um, I did a lot of that work. And in the meantime, I was talking to a friend of mine who was a data scientist at a company I used to work at, uh, and I was just getting advice from him. And just like, hey, like, how should I evaluate data scientists? And he would give me some feedback or I was like, and we talk about the idea, stuff like that. And eventually it kind of occurred to me that he was kind of into this. He was like, yeah, actually, I think there's really some value here. And eventually uh, we, he came on as a co-founder. And I was pretty lucky because I was actually kind of at, at a bit of, and I think this topic is pretty relevant to most folks here, I guess, is like finding a technical co-founder. I, I was struggling to find one. And I didn't really know how to start. And I was kind of like kicking myself like every non-technical co-founder will say is, man, I should have taken CS in college. I should have, you know, like really invested in this in myself. And um, or yeah, so I, I definitely was in that boat. Um, but I was pretty lucky that I, I had somebody that I had a good relationship with, I'd worked with before. And, and also he liked what I was doing. So that was a that was kind of key to sell him a little bit and try to get him to jump ship and uh, and, and join and join. So Fantastic. Uh, I think there's, there's two questions that, that are just immediately coming to mind. One is like, I'm just super curious, like what was, um, what was the, what was the driving force was, what was kind of like pushing you to move from like, okay, like I, I tried this one problem. I talked to a bunch of people, uh, you know, and you got some feedback, uh, pointed you in this completely different direction, right? Most people will just say at that point, you know what, you know, I've tried. It's it's that's that's it. You know, it, it didn't work out. But you just kind of kept going. What what was compelling you to keep going and, and keep kind of peeling the onion on this one? Yeah. So you're speaking as someone who's not achieved unicorn status or anything. I have a, I just have a theory here on like how to kind of find success here. I think like and this is probably not anything novel to anybody, but like I think a lot of us just like you got to stay in the game. You've got to stay in the game. I think. People find success at different points. Um, I think this idea of product market fit, very commonly used term, but it's really hard to find. And the number of companies that raise money, like serious money, and still don't get the product market fit, there's a lot of them, right? The investors aren't betting on product market fit. They're betting on your ability to get the product market fit. And so my mindset was like, I know this is an elusive thing. I know this is something that's very hard to find. It's not going to happen just in one year. It's not even happen after you raise that initial round, you know? So my mindset was stay in the game. And I actually, there's a, I, I, you guys should look it up. There's um, the company segment, segment.io, they were acquired by Twilio. I interned with them two summers before, and I, there's a blog post on how they got started. It really talks about this iterative, like hypothesis based framework. You said, how about hypothesis? You test it, you learn something. Then you pivot, you can make these little micro pivots, keep going and going. If you just keep that wheel going, you're going to find something, a real pain, right? That someone really needs solved. And a pain that's so valuable, someone's willing to pay you money, they'll just say, how much do I got to pay to solve this? Like that, that that's going to happen. As long as you feel, you, you stay very rigorous in this process, in this methodology. Some people it happens very soon. And that's another thing I also have to accept was there's a lot of stuff you can't control. You know, there's so much luck in this game. Sometimes you're too early into the market. Sometimes you're too late. Sometimes you thought there was pain, but your customers actually like didn't work being that forthcoming or you didn't really listen closely enough. Right. And like, you know, there's so much. So for me, it was about how, what can I control? How can I, what are the variables I can control? 
And then the rest is up to whatever you subscribe to, whether it be God or chaos or whatever else. It's up to something else, right? So that for me kept me in the game. It's just like, it's just a laser focus on just the process and the methodology and just, just stay in the game. And, you know, it, it's, it's a process that doesn't end really. Like even when you have product market fit, the market can evolve and evaporate your market, you know, and you're gonna have to continually to make, make adjustments, you know, and it could go the other way. COVID was great for some companies uh, like Zoom, <laughs> you know, like the whole world changed overnight and Zoom's valuation went through the roof, um, you know, so you never know, but like what kept me in the game is just, rigorous like like ruthless discipline to that process makes a ton of sense and, and i mean the zoom example like uh you know I, I think they were they started the company you know a few years ago and it was a crowded space and they ended up just carving out they found the specific you know they found their pain points and and so at the end of the day it goes back to that to your point like the you know finding the right problem understanding that problem and then having a compelling solution that you're you know it's an arm's length solution that that people want to use like to use and and you're kind of top of mind uh and you're solving a right pain point yeah. And you know, another piece of this too, is I think a lot you'll read about entrepreneurs and sort of this, like you got, sometimes there's this narrative that you need to have an ego. You need to be kind of like, you know, believe in yourself. And I think there's some truth to like having conviction yourself, but I actually think it's more, at least for me, more useful to have conviction in a process, trust and belief in a process. Like this is going to work. If we keep taking these behaviors and doing this, we will get there, you know? And if it's not, I'm going to go down swinging. You know, and that that's sort of the mindset for me. Like, I think this some people can leverage the unbridled hubris to make stuff happen. And that's great. I don't think that those are the nicest people to work for or work with personally, uh, having worked with people like that before. Um, I prefer a more uh, still having conviction, still having that kind of real strong belief and passion and drive. But it's anchored in a process. It's anchored in a belief and also anchored in a care about what you're trying to solve. And then this goes back to not being married to your idea, but married to your problem. Do you care enough about that problem that you're going to wake up with it? Like, I think when you're going to start a company, the way I framed it for myself is you got to assume you're going to be working on this for the next 10 years. Just assume that you may be out in five, you know, you may be out in three, you know, you may be the Snapchat guy who was offered a billion dollars his first year and didn't take it, which I still think is insane. But you know, if I was offered a billion dollars tomorrow, I would definitely take it. I don't care how big I think the thing can get. But that aside, um, I, I think that, you know, having like, I guess the point I'm trying to make is that conviction is super important in the process, in, in that, in that, in that, in, in the, in that process of hypothesis-driven entrepreneurship, focusing on just like that, what is already proven as a model, you know, that just gives me comfort knowing that like on the bad days, it's supposed to be bad on the good days. It's, 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 it's supposed to be good. You know what I mean? And just like, this is just all part of the journey. It just, that just brings me comfort. Yeah, I, uh, I am amazed at how delayed things can get, right? Whatever goals you set out, it, there, there's typically a little bit of a delay. And I think especially like from a perspective of a, of a kind of, or, or again, uh, you know, relatively inexperienced, like first time entrepreneur, I think there's, there's a sense of, you know, kind of coming out of corporate environment, coming out of more structured environments that, you know, okay, there's a quarterly plan, there's a set of things, there's a set of milestones that there is the, the B, you know, we're part of a beehive, the beehive is executing on these priorities, 
you know, like everything is functioning in a certain way that it's meant to function, right? This was like a well-oiled machine that that exists for like, you know, put, put it, you know, in my case, like consulting firms sometimes decades, and there's a way of doing things versus kind of jumping into a new environment where there's a lot of uncertainty. And then we're trying to place timelines on something like that. So that's another thing that I've kind of noticed and I think ties into what you're saying, which is, you know, kind of how do you remain consistent uh, and, yeah. and how do you remain conv convinced that this is the path to take when, you know, the timelines seem elongated and and kind of there is no end in sight sometimes and you just have to keep going and and keep, you know, keep, keep, keep executing well. This is, this is the hardest thing I think you can do in business in my view. I mean, I mean I'm biased, but also I don't have the, the perspective of running a multinational corporation as CEO. But like, I, I think this is really hard because one thing that makes this really hard is A, you need to kind of create your own form of conviction. Like you have to kind of have that, whether you anchor it in yourself, whether you anchor it in your process, whether it's a bit of both. But then also I think find one of the hardest things is creating the systems of accountability to do things, you know? Like you wake up as a, as a consultant or a banker or, you know, a product manager, like, you know what you need to do because there are forcing functions around you telling you need to deliver this by this date because they're going to, it's your part of a, a process. And there's so much comfort in that. There are days where I wish I had that, <laughs> you know, but I think that uh, as when you're trying to do this, when you're trying to become an entrepreneur, you're, you're making that step. It's like, you've got to create those things for yourself and you got to find ways to do it. And, so, and there also, there are things that will force it too. Like you get your first customer, suddenly you have a forcing function. You know, suddenly you hire somebody. Now you you actually owe something to that person. You need to be able to make payroll. So like you can create that. But the early, early stage, like the pre-anything stage is by far the hardest, I think. It's like, because you, sometimes you're like, well, you open your, you, you wake up in the morning, you open your laptop, like, well, what do I do today? You know, it's like, it can also, it can either feel like a ton or it can feel like nothing because you don't know where to start, right? And I think that's what makes it hard. And like, I think that's where process comes in. If you can implement a process, start a process and, and put that in place, you just feel you feel more comfortable. You feel more locked into something that where there you feel purposeful. Like I need to make, you know, I need to send 30 emails today to these people or like I need to, you know, uh, create. I need to like, you know, buy my, my CRM system and set it up or like um, I need to follow up with these people or like. That kind of thing, once you create and, and create that process part of a, and again, you can tell from the way I'm talking, if you use the word process like a gazillion times, I'm a process oriented person, because that gives me uh, anchoring in the, in, in the sea of ambiguity. So that is, uh, <laughs> so that's what helps me at least. And, you know, and again, I, I think different things will work for different people and have different people's brains are wired differently. Um, but the other piece of this too is team is another thing that I would say is really important. Um, you'll find that, uh, being a solo founder is very, very hard. I'm not, I, I, my hubris would tell me I was cut out for like, I can do it. And I, if you talk to some of the friends that try to start companies before, it's like, that's why, that's what I naturally gravitate towards. Um, but I've learned about myself and now I'm very cognizant of like having team is just so, so important. And if they can pick them up from the investor standpoint, you're going to bet on one person. You're going to bet on a team of like a, like more people. You'd spread the risk over three people versus one. It just makes more sense. Your odds of success are higher. And it's just more fun when you have people to work on it with, to suffer with, so to speak. So, um, yeah, uh, the team is also a really big variable in all this. 
And it also, you know, it, it kind of um, also probably helps with conviction a little bit when there are, you know, two people or more kind of going at it, you know, uh, that you have a kind of more more opportunities to to chat about what's going on, share and support, uh, right? Uh, there's always, you know, up moments, down moments and being able to uh, ha have that forum where you at least have, you know, another person to to share that with and share the experience. And it's a, it's a you know, uh, a lot of things happen on a daily basis, right? That sometimes you just need another person to share it with and and communicate and, and kind of bond over the, the things that do happen. Oh yeah, I mean, man, like <laughs> I have it. I actually think in team, you know, we talk a lot about technical co-founders and this and that. I actually think there's something more important than like, if you're a non-technical co-founder finding a technical co-founder, it's finding a co-founder that meshes with your personality. So independent of the skill, like I actually, again, Again, I all keep hedging and hedging this by saying this is my first night. I'm a first time founder, but what I've found has been that having somebody that has like, for example, counter cyclical moves, moods. So like when you're down, they're up, you know, or when you're up, they're down, like to kind of like pull each, keep each other in the game. You know, that's like really, that's really valuable or like complementary ways of thinking about problems. It's not just like, can this person code and can I sell? It's like, these problems that you're probably attacking are complex. They're messy. There's sometimes they're just like no one's even thought of them. Sometimes no one's really thought of them in the way that you're thinking about them. So having like another person to like sanity check, come at it from a different angle. Like people, I think there's sometimes this narrative like I was, I came up with this idea and I built a business and I built, you know, it's like the kernel of the idea is like, so I think it's minuscule in its impact. You know, because that idea, it's like once you have a team, it's like thrown around to different people. It's meshed it's like a piece of clay. Everybody kind of molds it together and it becomes the thing, you know, and that's all function of team. There's no like independent, like genius innovator that kind of does it all. You know, it really is a function of having multiple people around, not just for, of course, the support mechanism, but just the, 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 the thinking pattern and how you approach the problem. Because uh, if it was just me trying to approach this problem, I think, uh, you know, it, it's just, it would not, I don't think we'd move forward as a company. I need to have Dan in there as well with me, you know, sanity checking me. Even things I do on a day to day, I'll literally give you a tangible example. This morning, I was getting frustrated because we have talk tracks. We have like personas for people that we're targeting. We have like a data science persona. We have an analytics persona. So those are two different things. You have to go to market persona by different company size. And I was like, these aren't granular enough. Like, I'm getting feedback now from some companies where they're they're saying different pieces of feedback and that's not codified anywhere. I feel like I need to go back through all our 300 call notes and reanalyze all this to figure out by persona, by company size, by sector, like what is the exact like the messaging we should be having for each of these people. And like, cause that's my obsessive self wanting to get it right. And he's like, that's a complete waste of time. He's like, you don't need to do that. Start tracking that going forward. You're better off sending like, you better off getting on the phone with like, you know, hundred more people than spending two, three days you know, trying to go back through these no call notes just to kind of scratch some weird process that you have. I, if we weren't there, I would, I would have gone and done that and probably felt good about it. You know, having somebody there sanity check you and be like, yeah, it's probably not the best way you should be spending your time. And, and vice versa, when he's like, wants to put out a feature that I disagree with, I'm like, I actually don't think, because I'm talking to the customer, they probably want to see this. That's fact, I need that feature to sell better, right? So it goes both ways. Fantastic, and that and that's the you know the game, right? That's the daily, you know. That's what we signed up for is the consistent challenge and and finding somebody to your point that meshes with your personality. You believe in the vision together. You're willing to execute together. Um, you know, go through the through the good patches, the rough patches, and 
um, it's really hard to find and, 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 you know, going through different iterations and testing and, and kind of, but these are all great guidelines as to like what, what kind of people um, ought to look for or, or recognize signs of when they when they come across. And uh, I, I'm kind of picking up a team a little bit here in our conversation. Um, so Jeev, I feel like we're, we're kind of thinking through or, or kind of talking out loud different ways that, you know, one can um, call it de-risk or, or kind of put different elements in place in order to kind of get off to a good start. And I think uh, one that is um, near and dear to me, at least, or like for our community is the the skills piece. So, you know, in terms of like, I'd love to hear your thoughts um, uh, in terms of like, you know, as you look back, like, obviously, there, it's very hard to like fully prepare. Like, I would argue, it's like you're never prepared. There's always like a new challenge and a different, like, what I'm hearing from people is like at different stages of the company, you'll be dealing with different types of challenges that might require, you know, different skill sets. But I guess towards like, if you bring us uh, back towards the start, um, you know, kind of how would you, what is your advice for at the skill level or just kind of like general preparedness? What are some of the things that, um, you know, you want to get right before even kind of thinking about jumping into this or kind of starting to execute early on? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. And, you know, obviously it depends on the business you're in. Like if you're starting an e-commerce company, it's very different than starting, you know, a tech startup or, you know, a biotech company. But, Let's just focus on tech, I guess, is what maybe the probably right way to start here. Let's just take talking from my experience. Um, yeah, that's a good question because I have to now think back, like, how did I prepare? Well, maybe I'll tell you what I thought I was doing to prepare and then in actuality, how that actually like transpired. So when I graduated college, like I thought, hey, I want to become an entrepreneur. I'm not sure where to start. So I'll go work in finance, but for early stage companies, I worked in investment banking for like growth stage, mid middle market companies and tech space. And so I thought building a financial skill set would be really powerful to be able to like, you know, build like the idea of like doing real business analysis is going to be helpful at like the macro level. Um, and so I, I did, I did banking. Then I, you know, got, you know, obviously wanted to recover from that. And so I went into a couple, two startups and did sort of that business analytics role, like the idea of like, how can I understand the anatomy of businesses from the metric standpoint? I was working at Series B companies, so it was a little bit larger stage. But like, I first company I worked with was worked for was 60 people, grew to about 200 roughly by the time I left. So over the course of a year and a half, two years. But for me, it was like I'm learning the anatomy of a business. Like, what metrics? What are the levers you can pull, like, uh, to something grow and see the whole basically like sort of like the you know the head coach of a football team. You kind of see the whole field. You're not like an offensive focus. You're not on the defense. You're you're kind of you know, you're the Bill Belichick, you know, you're, you're kind of seeing it all. Um, and there is some, some, now that was helpful, but the skill set for the early stage, taking a company from zero to one per Peter Thiel is very, very different than if you are, uh, if you're doing some of the stuff I was doing. And I realized like a lot of that goes, I'm not tracking metrics right now. Like, the most metrics I'll track is like, okay, like what was our open rate on our last email blast? <laughs> you know, I'm not looking for statistical significance. I'm not looking at CAC LTV. I mean, you know, it's like none of that stuff is relevant, right? Uh, so if I if I had to think about it, I think there's kind of two buckets. Like, well, we'll we'll try sticking this framework, but I'll just kind of say this out loud while I'm thinking about it. I think there's there's domain, right? What domain are you going to work in, right? Domain expertise matters a lot. It matters in the form of like, how well do you understand the problem initially? Typically you wanna find a problem that you've experienced is my learning. I don't think it's necessarily the, the requirement, but 
I think most great companies start from somebody feeling the pain themselves. Um, so domain expertise is like, call it a skill, call it whatever you want, but that's the experience I think really matters a lot. Um, I think uh, a research-driven process. And so this permeates to a lot of different things. It actually permeates to initial like product research. Like I think many people make the, make the mistake, you know, of, uh, of like going to like potential customer and asking, what do you want? Like what, what, what's the pain you feel versus being more uh, ob observational about it. And so learning that those kind of, like I try to understand, see the pain or like understand the pain from by asking not as probing question to prime somebody. And those are like, I think those are things that can be learned, but I guess that's to say that the experience I got up front didn't really prepare me for that. I had to learn that on the fly. Um, but I, to get very tangible, I do think some technical uh, knowledge, like the ability to like build a website, to like build an MVP is really valuable. And I think I think that Brock, you may be going that direction <laughs> given given what we were talking about. But like that that's I did not have that. Um, I built like my first website in Squarespace. Like it's, you know, any, any Reese's monkey can do that. It's like, that it was not a great website, but like the idea of understanding, like some of the technical, like of the technical basics of like, you know, how to build a website, how to build an MVP of an app, maybe some no code tools being like being or like low code tools, like that stuff is really helpful because you can rapidly deploy experiments. And I think that's ultimately, again, all about the customer discovery process. There's the interview methodology. There's like build something quick, throw in the market and see what the reaction is. You can observe like the, the engagement. You can throw ads out there to see how people engage with certain topics to understand. Like, so there's different ways to get into customer discovery, but I do think that that technical skills that it does come in handy early on. Um, you don't need to be, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a MIT trained software engineer, you know, to do that. I don't even think you have to go to like a real strong, like, 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 like real strong training to do this, but um, I think it does come in handy. Uh, there was something else I wanted to say and I'm forgetting it now, but um, yeah, I think those are like things I, w if, you're, if I want to frame it as things I wish I had, I wish I had a little more technical fluency, to be honest. I think that would be really great. Um, and cause I, I think I could have more rapidly deployed like an MVP myself you know, rather than having to, and I mean, I'm happy Dan, of course, is on the team and he can do a lot better than I can. But uh, the point I was going to make is the one thing though to avoid is becoming too much of a jack of all trades. Like I think if, if anybody studied economics, everybody knows the term comparative advantage. I think that applies to every human. We all have a comparative advantage. And there is something to be said for learning the other disciplines. But if you have a, a like unfair comparative advantage as, like, as innately in you, lean on it and find a way to deploy it in the application of building your business, right? So I'm like obsessively process oriented. So the idea of customer discovery and interviews and sussing out the pain, like that's something that comes pretty, I would say, say naturally, but it's something I, 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 I actually enjoy. So I lean on that. And then the sales process, I'm not the best salesperson by any means, but I've started to enjoy that as a craft. Like how do you learn to like guide conversation in the direction you want them to go? How do you like, ask the right questions to suss out information that can tell you about whether they're a buyer or not and, and how to, you know, those kind of things like I'm learning, but like, I don't have the time to go, you know, learn, you know, JavaScript, HTML, CSS, go build a website. I would like to as an intellectual curiosity, but like at this stage it's too late for me, but I wish I had that bare minimum. Now, again, talk about comparative advantage. I would not be a great software engineer, like, cause I'd be too obsessive. I go all down that route and neglect everything else. So, 
and there's a balance here, I guess I'm trying to, I'm trying to stay in frame here. I don't know if I'm explaining this really well, but uh, that's kind of what I'm getting at. <laughs> no, you are. And um, I think uh, it makes, it makes a ton of sense. And I, I think this is a point that for instance, is not, I would say, uh, or at least in my, maybe I haven't caught it, like uh, as broadly discussed or like, you know, because some of these pain points only emerge after you start kind of going down the journey of, of launching, right? I think initially there's a ton of enthusiasm, you know, a lot of type A personalities and, you know, you just kind of get in there and start talking to customers. And then, you know, all of a sudden it's like, oh, like, I, you know, I need to build something now. Now the customer, you know, I, I discovered a pain point. I need to build something. How do I build? And, um, you know, so, so there's a set of, um, I think, uh, at least from my perspective, kind of as I reflected on a, a number of different, I guess, like where I could have accelerated or where I could have, um, what, what I could have done differently, like in some of the earlier attempts was, was kind of more around that. And it's like, for some reason, like, I feel like there's this whole trend around, I don't know, when we graduated undergrad, right? Like uh, uh, 2011, 2012, 2013, stuff like that. Like it was, I feel like there was like this big push towards like more like consulting, banking, more traditional industries. And like tech was still, uh, I mean, obviously if you're in Silicon Valley, if you're in San Francisco, I mean, tech was like taking over, right? And people saw it and people were raising that alarm, like software is taking over. There was, there was this, uh, you know, kind of broad recognition of that. But for some reason that, you know, that wasn't as big of a, of a conversation maybe on the East coast at around that time. And, you know, it's almost like, I feel like it permeated down to the, both the mindset and the skills. And I think that the thing that I find surprising sometimes is just kind of like, you know, how fast the world is changing, where we're headed and kind of, you know, the importance of kind of changing with the times, but it's also incredibly hard to do that. So maybe to, to uh, kind of uh, pivot on a point here around uh, data science and, and the hot topic around that and just kind of there's prevalence of data, right? There's a ton of data being collected. Companies have these, uh, you know, giant repositories. There's a lot of tools out there. Kind of what are some of the things where, uh, what do you find is like most interesting trends or things that are uh, kind of top of mind for you or things that excite you going forward on the data science piece, the skill set around that? And what can people do today to prepare uh, for, for what's about to come? Yeah, this is a great question. And it's, it's very much in the vein of what we're trying to do with academics. Um, so yeah, a lot to unpack there. Um, what's happening in data science? Well, <laughs> I could give you some, so here's some stuff we're hearing in the market around uh, sort of the, 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 the major trends in the shifts in the sector. And I, I, I think Dan would be the better one for two of us to get technical about it, but I can share some of what my thoughts are. I think. First off, the idea of data science, what companies are looking for, typically it falls into two buckets. One, they, they have very sophisticated data science teams. Like they are putting AI or machine learning deployed into products that are going to customers. So customers are using a product that is like generated via ML or AI, whatever. Those teams require basically unicorns of data scientists. They're looking for somebody that has phenomenal coding ability, understands the math at a very deep level, uh, can speak, like basically speak English, like in the sense that they can communicate very complex ideas in a very simple way. Um, they have the data engineering, like looking for somebody who can do it all, which is like completely unfeasible. Like to find those people, like good luck, you're not going to. So I think what's been happening is there's been sort of this uh, uh, like, uh, separation of the role 
right? You see data engineers now, you see data analysts, you have, and then you have data scientists, and it means different things to different companies. But on the R&D side, I think we're seeing a sort of like a, a division of labor. Like, you know, back in the day in medicine, there used to be one doctor who did everything. Now you've got specialists everywhere, right? In specific, like, and, and it's happening also in data science. You're seeing there's now like functional area specialists. Like, even and oftentimes they'll be like, well, we had needed someone who's an expert on NLP. Specifically, we're doing like, let's say you're doing, you know, translation of some kind, like some translation algorithm. You're going to need somebody specific there. So that's one trend we're seeing. And um, I think another thing is, um, and I, I think right now we're, ta we're talking specifically about tech. Um, on the go-to-market side, so any sales, marketing, customer success function, any revenue generating and retaining function, um, data science, or can I hate throwing that term around because it's really just statistics. It's, it's the, like statistical methodology, advanced statistics applied to problems. That's growing in adoption, but still lagging. And I think what's been interesting is to see uh, the different attempts to bridge this gap. You've seen software tools like out-of-the-box sales analytics software and it, you know, that, that's one attempt to make uh, go-to-market leaders more analytically driven. Then you see no-code tools. Hey, make your business analysts be able to run ML models and algorithms just themselves. They don't need a data scientist. Our approach has been human capital. We say, actually, you need a human to do this. The problem is the humans are too expensive. We found a way to decrease that cost. Like, so that's the way we frame it. But either way, uh, go-to-market has still some room to grow. And specifically on businesses that generate a lot of data or consuming a lot of data. So B2C, SMB focused, some B2B SaaS, but again, it depends upon how much data you're ingesting or where the use case is. Like you've got 10 customers, you don't need, you know, a regression model to figure out churn. Like, but um, like, so like anything where you're generating a lot of, lot of, you know, data. So that's what we see there. Um, the one thing that, again, I think is obvious but is kind of catching up now is the rise of data engineers. You can't do anything analytical if your data is your data stocks. You just can't do it. And there's problems when it comes to, and this is something that we're also researching right now, because this is something we get as, you know, feedback is saying like, come back to us in six months, we're trying to get our data structure and architecture off the ground. And if that takes six months, I mean that's that's a long time in the life cycle of a company, especially an emerging, fast growing company. So how do you decrease the getting up and running tagging and, and structuring your data, your data warehouse, creating all the, uh, the, 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 um, the ingestion architecture, the piping, all done in a way that can be scalably, flexibly, and where you don't have one person managing it themselves. Like, so if a marketer wants to change a field or something, you break the entire architecture, it takes you a couple of weeks to get that going. So I think that the idea of data engineering, how do you make data engineering more scalable, more flexible? How do you get more humans into data engineering? as a field, that's another big thing that's in our eyes. But more broadly speaking, sort of the last trend I've identified, there's, so, there's just sectors that are behind the ball. There's sectors that are so far behind. I mean, we talked to a company uh, in the healthcare space who, they have a data science team, and these folks have worked in quote unquote data science for like decades, and they didn't even know where to start on Seneca Data Warehouse. Like, they're like, Is it, do we use Snowflake? Like, what do we use? That's shocking. That's a shocking thing to hear. Like, and these are like, heavily, heavily data-rich companies, right? Or data-rich organizations. Retail, still behind the ball. They're catching up, but behind the ball. Manufacturing, it is, it's crazy. They, and the thing is, what, what, the reason why it's so hard to adopt in those sectors because the leaders don't even know where to start. There's like, I know I have data. Like that's now recognized. I got, we got tons of data. Um, 
I don't even know where to start. Like what, how could I use it? Like it's so, it's so hard to kind of break through that. There's a lot of education that has to happen in the market to drive adoption there. And that unfortunately takes time. Like anyone that is a statistician can look at a manufacturing plant and give you six ways right off the bat. Like you don't need to have that much domain expertise. Like you study ops for a week and you'll probably know like, like so many, like five or six low hanging things, low hanging fruit things you can do that could generate value, right? Whether it be quality, quality control or like, you know, supply chain optimization or like increase, increasing your throughput rate or like just, op, there's a lot of cool stuff you can do. Um, but it's just an education thing right now, you know? And so I think this field is still very much emerging. It's still a growing field. I think the, the tooling is also gonna change and evolve. I think you're seeing this big movement toward no code. Like how do you make analytics in general more, more uh, self-service? Um, I definitely experienced that when I was working as a biz ops analytics person where I would, I can't be relied upon to do every single analysis or my team can't be relied upon to do every analysis. We need to create tools to allow every user in the company to be able to access their own metrics, do their own ad hoc analysis. If it's just, you know, uh, one team doing everything, it's not scalable, right? And I saw this other company where they have a strategic analytics group and they're like inundated with requests. That's not, that's not scalable, right? Um, so that, those are some of the things that I'd outline. I mean, I, I could keep going, but I, I think those are some of the big thematic areas that were, were uh, themes that I'm seeing. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you for that perspective. Uh, uh, that, that's fantastic. And I think it gives us a lot to both process, think about, and uh, I think you outlined definitely a few. Uh, one of the things that I'm personally fascinated by is like kind of what, what it, how, how will the future look like? How will we, how can we prepare? How can we risk manage at both like the individual and skills level, make sure that we have what we need to fully oh. participate in kind of like the, the future. And, and I know that's just something that I, I constantly think about and, and how to, how to prepare and what to look out for. And it just seems to me that, right. Like there's so many, so many trends, business is changing dramatically and, you know, I, I kind of, you know, it feels like soft skills are important, but there's also like, you know, continues to be a need to, to be at least like aware and kind of push the, push the envelope on kind of continuous education, learning, being on top of these trends. And um, I think you've, you've just kind of given us a few, few ideas of what to consider, what to look in, look for, and uh, kind of how, how the world is changing out there. Yeah. I realized I didn't answer your question about the skills to build. I, I just, I just realized that, but um yeah, there, there. I mean, I, I, I have bias toward the idea that like having, having understanding, not fluency, is kind of what you need. It depends where you're going to sit. If you want to be a data scientist, like by all means, go like go learn. Like, I, I'll, I'll say this. Around data science, there is, I think, software. I mean, again, I, some data scientists will probably disagree with me, but I'm just, I'm just re repeating what I've been, I've been hearing in the market. Um, so don't, don't, don't eviscerate me <laughs> for what I'm about to say. From what I, most people I've talked to, the the there's kind of two core skills. There's the there's the math, like understanding the core math behind a lot like all these methodologies, like the statistics, etc. And then there's the engineering, software engineering. At this current time, it seems that software engineering is the greater skill, like the more important skill. So you find a lot of engineers who learn the math and deploy them, even though they may not fully understand the math to the level of depth as an applied math PhD. But uh, you like that. That's typically what companies find is like they're looking for people who can code, like adapt into like a software engineering uh, like environment very quickly. So having very good coding skills, 
like know how to use Git, you know, how to annotate your code properly or not like using like very, uh, uh, like understand like efficiency when it comes to like developing algorithms, et cetera. So, um, and we see that because from the academics we work with, they know how to use Python and, and, some, and R, and, but sometimes they don't code as efficiently because they're not putting anything to production. So what they're looking for, what uh, data science teams are looking for is folks that could uh, put code deploy into production for primary, secondary is the math. So if you're looking to get exposed to data science, which is why I say if you're a non-technical founder, if you're kind of learning about data science, I think it's important to understand the methodologies and when they're used. You're not going to be the guy deploying or the guy or the gal who's going to be deploying these, these, these algorithms. So it's important to understand when you're going to use what and what is enough. Like what is like academically acceptable is like three times more complicated than what's acceptable in industry. You need them to get like an 80% accurate like model to make a decision in business because it moves much quicker. So uh, being able to balance that, because that, that, that actually helps when you're trying to manage data scientists because you'll get some folks who really want to go down the rabbit hole and create the perfect model. And it's like, you got to be able to know when enough is enough. So I think those, and you mentioned one thing lastly here is the soft skills. Like I, I, that's the number one thing also companies are looking for is like, can you communicate? Can you know when enough is like 80% is enough and not? Or like, can you advocate for your position? Can you uh, translate and understand the business domain context? Like those are all like kind of soft skills that are really important. Like finding tech, uh, technical folks is you can, but finding technical folks who can speak the language and understand the business context, that, that's, that's really tough to do. Fantastic, uh, Suryu. And maybe we we end with a with a call to action for. So, what would be your advice for anybody who is, uh, you know, trying to build new products, trying to launch new things in 2021? Uh, what what would be your call to action, words of encouragement, anything that comes to mind? Yeah, uh, I'll quote Nike. Just do it. Just just like. Just go out and do it. If you have like, and don't be afraid to get it wrong. Honestly, like you're going to get it wrong. So just like, it's, it's, it's one of those things that you'll never regret having tried. You know, you'll be like, I don't know. I think, uh, you know, (laughs) going, I I can, I know people who've regretted going into investment banking, but I don't think I've met anybody who's regretted like taking a risk, trying to start a company. Like it's, it's 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 such a it's such an enriching experience you learn so much but i think the hardest part the hardest part is that initial like i have an idea or i know a problem i want to solve what's next what's the next step like just try and create a process just take it's literally about putting one foot in front of the other until you get the momentum and then at least for me i can't get off the treadmill i i can't get off i can i just keep going and even in the bad, even, you know, when things are not looking so great, which there will be a lot of, just, just go out and do it. And, you know, and, and if you have trouble figuring out how to do that, lean on other people that are entrepreneurs, uh, reach out cold to people. People are surprisingly willing to be generous with their time and, and add offer advice. Cause guess what? Those folks that started companies, they also had to reach out to other people to get advice. So the one thing that's wonderful about this community you know, in the macro level in general is that everybody's willing to to pay it forward to us to some respect. So um, I know that I've had some good folks in my corner who have been uh, very encouraging and uh, and very sobering at times as well. But yeah, just, just go and do it. <laughs> Fantastic. This was absolutely amazing. Thank you for sharing your perspective. Uh, and and it, this was a great session. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it.